Well, it's so good to see everybody's smiling face this morning. How's everybody doing? Blessed, I hope. Are you guys ready to get started with the word this morning? Praise God. Well, as you guys know, we are uh, continuing on in the book of 1 Corinthians. This is part 25. Can you believe it? 25 weeks we've been going through this, but it's been good. I hope you guys have been blessed. So we have, I think, today and then probably four or five more weeks, and then we will be done with the book of 1 Corinthians. But today, uh, as we get started, as I was studying this, I began to think about something that happens to me all the time. Maybe it happens to you, I don't know, but um, for those of you guys who know me, you might um, know that uh, I've been known to have a slightly strong personality, and uh, I'm, I'm, I'm glad you guys haven't noticed that. You know, that, that really makes me feel warm. But, uh, uh, you know, I, I work full-time, as you guys know, and I work for a company that we often have meetings you guys ever worked in a, in a company where it seems like you have more meetings than you do any work? Yeah, that's how, sometimes how it feels. But we have these meetings, and we get together, and, uh, and we, we all want to have our say in the meeting, right? So we begin to talk. But because of uh, kind of just my personality, sometimes I, I tend to talk over people, you know, because I want to get my word in. I want to get that word in edgewise. And it happens from time to time. It's actually something I'm working on. And, and to be honest with you, I'm trying really hard not to talk over people but nobody else is. So like I, it's, sometimes I just want to throat punch people so I can get a word in edgewise because I just won't shut up for a second so I can say. But um, I'm trying not to talk over them. But what, what's craziest is there's a couple other people that I work with that have this same type of personality. So you get that section where like we all start talking at the same time so it just sounds like a bunch of mumbling and jumble or you get all the false starts. You're like, I, no, you go. No, you go. I, I, no, you go. And nothing ever gets said. You guys ever seen that before? That happens to me, to me all the time at work. And I begin to think about, you know, this is probably the same kind of thing that's happening in the, the Corinthian church at this time. Because they're all getting together for a service right now, and instead of coming up and talking in turn and, and using their gifts in turn, what's happening is they're coming together, and everybody's speaking in tongues at the same time, and it just sounds like noise. It just sounds like, a, I imagine it just, it just sounds crazy. I imagine what it sounded like during the service is what it sounds like here in the morning when you guys are all out there talking, because everyone's talking to each other, but you're all talking at the same time, and it just sounds like a, a, a roar of noise across the front lobby there. But that's what church sounded like. Could you imagine if that's what church sounded like? Pastors up here preaching, and you got people all over the place trying to talk to everybody at the same time. I mean, nothing would get accomplished. And that's basically what's happening in the Corinthian church right now, just noise. And the worst part is, is, is everybody speaking in tongues, but all the other gifts of the Spirit were being suppressed. They weren't getting their turn. And what was happening was the body was not being edified, the body was not being built up, and nothing good was coming of it. Amen? So as we're going to look at today, Paul is going to continue in that instruction of how to operate in the body of Christ, how to operate and worship in an orderly fashion. So let's go ahead and pray as we come to it. Heavenly Father, we just thank you for your great love. We thank you for your goodness. And Father, I pray as we go through the word this morning that you would give us revelation, Father, of what you're trying to speak to us, Father, that we wouldn't just have a, a simple intellectual knowledge of what we're reading, Father, but that it would, that it would, that it would be driven home, Father, it would be revealed into our heart, and that we would be able to move forward and grow because of your word spoken this morning. And we thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So we're going to go ahead and continue from where we were last week, and uh, we're starting uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 14, verse 20. He says, Brothers, do not be children in your thinking, but be infants in evil, 
but in your thinking, be mature. So last week, if you remember, we ended off with this verse. This is Paul in verse 19. He says, Nevertheless, in church, I would rather speak five words with my mind in order to instruct others than 10,000 words in a tongue. This seems like pretty wise advice, right? This is an example of mature thinking. Because the problem, one is, the problem was, as Paul saying, listen, you guys need to stop being children in your thinking. And why was Paul telling them this? Paul's telling them this because it's apparent that the Corinthian church was just not acting in maturity when it came to the spiritual gifts. They were acting like children. And what are some of the, the um, characteristics of children that Paul might be talking about? Maybe they were acting without thinking. They weren't uh, taking a look at what the consequences might be. They weren't looking at the final outcome. They were only looking at what would benefit them. That's what children do. They want what's good for them. And typically, they're not thinking about other people. They're not thinking about other children. They just want what's best for them. They're doing everything that they want, no reason, and they just want to be happy. And that's basically how this Corinthian church was acting. And they were acting like, you know what, it's just me, me, me. I just want what's going to make me happy. And as we talked about previously, the last few weeks, and they figured that uh, to show that they were spiritual, to show that they were good enough, everyone had to speak in tongues, and everybody had to do it at the exact same time, and nothing was being, they were acting like children. Now, I've got three kids. My two oldest, they're, they're uh, uh, 18 and, no, is, is Haley 18 or 19 now? Oh, they grow so fast, I can't keep track. They're out of the house. I'm like, I'm done with you. I just got one. <laughs> just kidding. <laughs> but uh, my, my oldest, is, she'll be 20 in December, so that means uh, Haley, uh, I think turned 19 this year, 18 this year. She's one of those. I don't know. She's an adult. She moved out. And my son now, who is 13, right? Woohoo! I got one of them, right? Praise God. Who's 13, he's still with us. And uh, I don't see it quite as much with him anymore, though sometimes, but I saw it with all my kids growing up. Who has ever had to ask their kid, what were you thinking? What were you thinking? And what's the answer you always get? I don't know. I don't know. That's, that's acting in, in, in immaturity, correct? Now, thank God they grow out of that, right? They grow up and they're not like that. And then they finally have it, just like me, I was like, why are my parents like this? And then I grow up, and I'm like, oh, now I get it. But yeah, children act without reason, particularly young children. And this is what the Corinthian church is doing. These are adults just acting a fool. They're not thinking about what they're doing. But Paul says, you know what, you need to be, do not be like children in your thinking. Be like adults, be mature in your thinking. But then he says, be infants in evil. And you're like, wait a minute, he just said not to be children. Now he's telling them to be children, be infants. But what he's talking about is, is, is what is the characteristic of an infant? Now, I'm not even talking about children, we're talking about babies. Babies have no experience. They've not done anything. You know, you, you don't ask a baby what they did over the weekend, because all they did was poop and eat. They didn't do anything else. You know, so the, 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 the babies, the infants, they don't have any experience. They don't do anything. They don't participate in things. And that's what Paul is saying. Be infants in evil. Don't participate in evil. Don't act on evil. Don't be involved in evil. Be infants in evil, but in your thinking, be mature. In other words, use your noodle. Reason like human beings. Consider the actions of others. Act in wisdom. Amen? 
And then he goes on to say in verse 21, In the law it is written, By people of strange tongues and by the lips of foreigners will I speak to this people. And even then they will not listen to me, says the Lord. Thus tongues are a sign not for believers, but for unbelievers, while the prophecy is a sign not for unbelievers, but for believers. So this is part of that, think about what you're doing, think in wisdom. Let, let me just explain some things to you, he says. And uh, what Paul is doing is actually paraphrasing some scripture in Isaiah 28, it's verses 11 and 12, Isaiah 28, 11 through 12, it says, For pe- by people of strange lips and with a foreign tongue, the Lord will speak to this people to whom he has said, this is rest, give rest to the weary, and this is re- repose, yet they would not hear. So basically what this scripture is, is a reference to the invading Assyrian army whose language would have been barbaric to the Jews. They wouldn't have understood it. It would have just been nonsense to them. And the presence of this tongue was actually evidence of God's judgment on the Jewish people at the time. When they saw this army coming in, they heard them speaking to him in this foreign tongue. This was evidence of God's judgment at that point in time. Because God had attempted to speak to the Jews through through the prophets, through their own native tongue. He'd attempted to speak to them. And the problem is they just kept shunning him, not listening to him, sometimes killing him. They did all kinds of crazy stuff, but they weren't listening. And that was, so basically the judgment of that was, all right, then you're going to have a foreign people come in and you can hear uh, their words instead of mine. And if you think about it, even at Pentecost, when the disciples began speaking in other tongues, that piqued the interest of the Jews were listening. They said, wait a minute, I hear them speaking in my own language. And they didn't say, I hear them speaking in other languages. I hear them speaking in my own language. So that would have been an interesting thing. Somebody's talking in, in tongues, and, and you would hear it in your language, and he would hear it in his language, even though the, the, the person speaking is not changing. But it wasn't that speaking that saved anybody. That was just that their attention. Like, wait a minute. How is it they're speaking and we can all understand? How is it that they're talking and we can all... It got their attention, and it would have piqued their interest, and really, this reference wouldn't have been lost on the Jewish people. Almost, if not all Jewish people, knew their scriptures. They knew the problem. They knew what was going on. They understood what was coming. It's not like today when somebody mentions a scripture and we're like, is that in the Bible? You know, and there's stuff that we think is in the Bible that's not like uh, cleanliness is next to godliness, just so anybody wonders, not in the Bible. So, uh, but it was Peter speaking to that group afterwards that actually had the impact. He began to speak in tongue in words they could understand, and he began to share the gospel, and he began to share Jesus, and that had the impact. Not the tongues, but speaking in a language they could understand. So what was Paul's point then in the law that is written that uh, tongues are assigned not for believers but for unbelievers, while prophecies are assigned not for unbelievers but for believers? He's saying that tongues was a sign, was not a sign for believers. Tongues was not, in other words, tongues or uninterpreted tongues was not to be used to address the church because it had no benefit. They couldn't understand, they couldn't grow, they couldn't learn. So tongues, unless interpreted, is of no use to the body of Christ as a whole to be addressing the church. Now, we believe in, in uh, the devotional tongues and praying in tongues, and the Scripture says that when you pray in tongues, it is actually uh, a benefit to you and your spirit, and God hears it, but nobody else can understand it. Amen? Even your own mind can't understand it. But he says, even though uninterpreted tongues have their place, it is assigned to unbelievers. It's not to be used in the church. And it begins to explain even in more detail in verse 23. He says, if therefore the whole church comes together and all speak in tongues and outsiders or unbelievers enter, will they not say that you are out of your minds? 
But if all prophesy and an unbeliever or outsider enters, he is convicted by all. He is called to account by all. The secrets of his heart are disclosed, and so falling on his face, he will worship God and declare that God is really among you. So here's the real problem that Paul is dealing with. Like we said, tongues is only a benefit to the church if there is an interpreter so that the church can understand what is being said. If the church cannot understand what's being said, it just sounds like nonsense. It just sounds like craziness. And what's happening in the Corinthian church is everybody's speaking in tongues all at the same time, and it's probably to the detriment to the other gifts. Nobody can speak in prophecy. Nobody can teach. Nobody can, can do any of these things because everyone's speaking in tongues, and they're all busy with something else. And Paul says, if that's what it looks like when people walk in, they'll all just think that you're crazy. They're just going to hear people speaking in tongues. They're going to think you're bonkers. Matter of fact, even when, when it happened at Pentecost, they all, they all said, are these guys drunk? What's going on here? And the truth is, many of you can probably relate to that feeling, to that experience. Many of you have probably, if you've been coming here for a while, heard some of us pray in tongues, in a devotional tongues. We're not addressing anybody. We're just praying or singing in tongues. And if you've not experienced that, if you've not um, spent time studying the Word on what that is, and if you're unfamiliar with that, it seems kind of crazy. It seems kind of weird. Matter of fact, I've been speaking in tongues for a long time, and I still think it's kind of weird. But it's scriptural. And I believe what the Word of God says. And, but it does. It sounds weird. It sounds a little bit crazy. And, and that's what's happening. And you're not even being addressed. Now imagine if you came in and everybody was addressing the church in tongues at the same time. How much more would that feel just ridiculous? You guys would walk in and be like, nope, and be right back out. Because that's what people would think, is that we were crazy. Now, are they crazy? Are they drunk? But when someone addresses the church in a prophetic word, you see, like we've talked about, it's not the gifts of the Spirit people have a problem with most of the time. It's speaking in tongues because it sounds weird. But if somebody stands up here and has a prophetic word for the church, and they get up there and they speak, nobody's going to think they're crazy. They're going to listen because they're hearing the Word of God. They're hearing it in a language that they can understand. And the outcome is completely different. People aren't all weirded out. People aren't like, what's going on here? And said, like, man, that's a word from God. And he goes on to talk about that because uh, when, the, when a word is from God, the result is different because God is not going to send some random nonsense. You know, you're not going to hear somebody, I got a prophetic word from God. Cheerios are better than Fruit Loops. That's not a word from God. I don't think God cares if you eat Cheerios or Fruit Loops. But when he comes up here with a word from God, something that, you know, it's, it, it's like quick to the heart. You understand it has impact for you. Those words have purpose. And Paul says that, that that person is convicted and he is called to account because God is speaking to them, is touching something in their heart. And then it says this, and the secrets of his heart are disclosed. Some of you are like, I'd rather keep my secrets in my heart. I don't want all you guys knowing about my secrets. And truthfully, we don't want to know about your secrets either. What that means is, and you've probably had this happen to you when you've had the secrets of your heart disclosed. Have you ever been in a church service, someone's preaching a message and you're like, the pastor's reading my mail. That message is exactly for me. It's funny, I'll preach a message, and everyone's like, Pastor, it was just like you were talking to me. And they don't know that 13 other people just came up and said the exact same thing to me. Because you, the secrets of your heart begin to be revealed, and what happens is, is God begins to speak to his people through a prophetic word or through teaching, and, and it makes an impact. 
And it makes a difference. And that's why Paul says it's better that you would prophesy than speak in tongues because it can make an impact on somebody. It can actually make a difference. They can understand what you are saying. And definitely when you recognize that God is speaking to you, when you come into a place and you're like, man, God was speaking directly to me. You're like, man. The person that hears that, they begin to worship and they declare God really is here. It's not just a bunch of crazies. It's a bunch of people where where God is present in this place and he is speaking to us and it's making an impact. Amen? That's definitely a huge contrast to a bunch of people just spouting off in tongues and doing it in an unorderly fashion. Amen? Then he continues on in verse 26. What then, brothers, when you come together, each one has a hymn, a lesson, a revelation, a tongue, or an interpretation. Let all things be done for building up. So now, Paul has begun to, to point his finger at some of the areas where the Corinthian church has just been dropping the ball. The, the, mall, the ball. They've been dropping the ball. They've not been doing things the way that they're supposed to be doing them. And Paul says, well, what then, brothers? What do we do? He says, when you come together, each one has a hymn, a lesson, a revelation, a tongue, or an interpretation. Let all things be done for building up. He says, it's not the end. You see, that's the, the great thing is they find out that they've been doing it wrong this whole time. They've been misusing and abusing the gifts of the Spirit, particularly the gift of tongues. And now Paul's like, well, what are you to do then? And I want you to know, church, this is the difference between condemnation and conviction. Because Paul could have condemned them and said, you know what, you guys missed it. You screwed up. There's nothing that you can do. You're never going to get out of this. You should have got it right the first time. Sayonara, see you later. Good luck. But that's the difference between condemnation and conviction because conviction says, hey, there's a problem. Hey, there's something going on. You've ever felt the Holy Spirit convict you and say, you know what, this is something that you need to change in your life. This is something that you need to get right. But he never says, but it's too late. He gives you the opportunity to correct, to to come out of it. You see, condemnation says you failed, you messed up, and there's nothing you can do. But but conviction says, yeah, you may have messed up, but let me show you a better way. Let's get out of this place that you're at. You don't have to remain where you're at. Amen? (laughs) So Paul doesn't condemn them. Yeah, I heard I made that mistake. (laughs) Over here giggling. I don't know what it is. I just, when I preach, my tongue just wants to go faster or my mind goes faster than my tongue and gets all messed up. But, <laughs> but Paul doesn't condemn them, right? He says, you know what? This is what you can do. Let, let's go ahead and do it the right way. He says, let's go ahead. Instead of everybody talking in tongues at the same time, let's use all the gifts and all the offices of the Holy Spirit. He says, let's bring a hymn. Let's bring a, a song, right? That's why we get together and have worship when we come into the church. Because worship is important. We come together and we give glory to our God because He is worthy of our praise. Amen. We give Him glory and honor and that's important. And then He says, oh, how about somebody bring a lesson? And that's in, in the church when we get together, or at least particularly here on, on Sunday mornings, I, I bring the message. On Wednesdays, typically Joseph is bringing the message. And uh, someone is teaching in, in a language we can all understand because we want to have growth. We want to move forward. We want to have impact and change in our life. 
And then he says, if somebody has a revelation, they can bring that too. And that's that revelation that he's talking about here is a prophetic word. You can read in, a, we will read in a second, verses 30 and 32, where he refers to revelation as a prophetic word. And that's where somebody gets a message from God. And if you have that, if, somebody, if God has given you a message, talk to the leadership so that it can be weighed. Because that's what the scripture says. The word of the prophet should be measured. It should be weighed. And we're going to see that more in a second. And, and uh, if, it's, if it's on point, if it's not in contrast to the word of God, then yeah, come up here and, and speak it to the church because the, the gifts of the spirit are to build and edify the church. And then he says, and if anyone has a tongue or an wait a minute, didn't he just say tongues are bad? Oh, Paul never said tongues are bad. Tongues are just fine. It is a gift of the Spirit. But Paul says, if you're going to do it, if somebody has a tongue, bring it, or an interpret- but they need to have an interpretation. He says, or an interpretation here, and he's going to be more specific in a couple verses. But basically, yeah, somebody can speak in tongues and even address the church as long as there is interpretation. And why? Because when there's interpretation, we can be edified. The church can be built up. The spiritual gifts, church, are to be used for the building up and the edifying of the body. They were given to us for a reason. Uh, uh, When when Jesus left, he said, in in not too many days, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and give you power. And that's what he's talking about, the Holy Spirit coming upon us, and we operate in those gifts to build up the church. But we can't put an emphasis on only one. We can't say that this one is better than all of them. Or if you, if you don't do this one, then you're a failure. They're, every gift is important and to be used by the body. And it's as the Spirit leads, the church might be built up. And if you desire to operate in one of the gifts, and I believe that you should, I believe the Scripture says that we should, and we'll see that in a moment, that's a good thing. But make sure that you're doing it to build up the body and not yourself. Amen? Then he goes on in verse 27. If any speak in a tongue, let there be only two or three, or two or at most three, and in each in turn, and let someone interpret. But if there is no one to interpret, let each of them keep silent in church and speak to himself and to God. The thing about operating in the gifts of the Spirit is it needs to be done in an orderly fashion. God is not a God of chaos, where you're going to hear Paul say that, but he's a God of order. So Paul says, if somebody is going to speak in tongues to the church, let there be two or three at most. Even if 27 people have been given a word, and even if there's an interpretation, Paul says, just let two or three do it. There's got to be order. There's got to be room for the other gifts. And he says, go ahead and let them do it but someone must interpret. Now, I want you to notice here that Paul never says nobody ever speak in tongues again. Paul never says tongues are bad or tongues aren't good or, or we shouldn't do anything with them. Paul says, you know what? It's okay if someone wants to address the church in tongues, but they need to have an interpreter. And then he goes on to say next, each one must speak in turn. That's important too, right? Because if we all came up and spoke at the same time, nothing would be accomplished. If we all came up and began to, to, even if it was in a language we could understand, we would come up here and it would just sound like craziness. But the truth is, is that Paul says, do it in turn. 
So this tells us a couple things. One, we find out that, that when you operate in one of the gifts of the Spirit, you're not a spiritual marionette. You're not a puppet. God doesn't take control. God will give you a word or an utterance, but it's still up to us to choose when we relay that message, amen, whether it's in tongues, whether it's in uh, a gift, a, a prophetic gift, or a word of knowledge, or a word of wisdom. We still choose when to, to relay that message. So we have to do it in turn. And finally, like we said, someone has to interpret. And then he says, finally, if there is no one to interpret, be quiet. Shut it. Don't say anything. Because it's not going to be a benefit of anyone else. And when he says that, to be silent, he actually says be silent in church. He doesn't say don't ever speak that, that tongue that you've been given. Don't ever use that gift. He says in church, keep, you're not going to address the church, but go ahead and begin to speak that to yourself and to God. Let it edify your spirit and edify God, even though it won't be able to edify the body without an interpreter. And what I find interesting here is, as Paul says, if there's no one there to interpret then don't speak. How do we know that? How do we know that there's not someone in the room that's going to interpret? Well, one, Paul earlier said, pray if you have a tongue that you may interpret. So God's going to give you the interpretation before you ever relay that message of tongues to the world. You'll know if you have the interpretation. So if you haven't been given the interpretation and you don't know that there's somebody else in the body that has that gift of interpretation, then you're better off to just keep it to yourself and, and say it to God. Paul says, remain silent in the church. But he doesn't say don't speak in tongues. Just don't address the church. Amen? And then he goes on to continue with this instruction because it doesn't just stop at tongues. This, this idea of orderly worship applies to every gift of the Spirit. Amen? In verse 29 through 33, he says, let two or three prophets speak, and let the others weigh what is said. That's important. Old Testament prophets were the authoritative word of God. You didn't get to talk back. But New Testament prophets are different. When we are given a word of God, every single one of us in this room has been given a greater revelation than anybody pre-Jesus. We can look at Jesus and see who God is. We have a revelation of who God is, what His will is, what He wants, who we are in Him through His Son. So we're able to make decisions whether what they're saying is in a line with the word of god amen so new testament prophets yes we may have words uh from god but they're to be weighed they're to be measured and if they don't align with the word of god then they're to be rejected amen and then in the church one of the things that we do here if you're going to address the church in a prophetic word um up here from the front you need to speak to the leadership so that it can be weighed by us before it goes out to them, especially if it's someone that, that we don't know or that we, we don't quite trust yet. We don't want to let anybody come up here and speak, amen? Because we don't know what they're going to be saying. So it's important that those things be weighed. And he says, and if a revelation is made to another sitting there, this is where I talked about revelation equals uh, prophetic word. If a revelation is made to another sitting there, let the first one be silent. For you can all prophesy one by one so that all may learn and all be encouraged. And the spirit of prophets are subject to prophets. What he's saying here is that 
Yes, more than one person may have a prophetic word, but the spirit of the prophet is subject to the prophet. And what that means is, is that even though God gives you a prophetic word, you know, it's not like, like on that cartoon, the avatar, where your eyes start, go back and start glowing and something's taken over you. You still have control of your faculties. You still have control. You can choose when to relay that word. And in order to operate in an orderly fashion, we need to make those decisions and not try to talk over people and not try to, to especially if people are getting up there to do it so they can say, hey, look at me look at me look how spiritual i am we need to do it in an orderly fashion the reality is is that god is not a god of confusion a lot of people make christianity be much more complicated than it really is read his word do what it says in it it's not that difficult it was made for for you know uh people 2,000 years ago who were fishermen and maybe not terribly well educated to understand this stuff Many people didn't even read back then, and it was made for them to be able to understand. It's not complicated if we just read his word and, under, and listen to it. And this is true in all the churches. God is not a God of confusion. Other translations say a God of order, uh, not a God of, of uh, order, or but of order. Sorry, not of confusion, but of, of peace or but of order as in all the churches of the saints. This is not just common to the Corinthian church. God is a God of order in every church. Amen. In verse 34, he goes on to say he's going to go ahead and take a a sidebar real quick. And some of you guys are like, yeah, can't wait for this part. But you probably got it wrong, just to let you know. Verse 34 says, The woman should keep silent in churches, for they are not permitted to speak, but should be in submission, as the law also says. If there is anything they desire to learn, let them ask their husbands at home. For it is shameful for a woman to speak in church. This is one of the difficult parts about going through a book in the Bible verse by verse by verse by verse because I don't, I don't get to pick and choose. I don't get to go, eh, that's a tough one. I don't want to talk about it. We've got to deal with all of them, right? And the truth is, that should be true even in our, our study life and our reality. We have to make a decision that, that uh, we believe the Bible, that what the Bible says is true, and that we're going to follow it. Even sometimes we may not agree with it. Now, I don't think that's the case here. We're going to see what this actually means here. But I was listening to a video by Francis Chan uh, the other day, and and he had a really good take on this. He says uh, they were actually talking about uh, homosexuality and what his feelings were on that. And he says, you know what? I don't even lead with that. If somebody comes in, you know, I I don't make a big deal of that. What What I first need to find out is, do they believe that the Bible is true and are they willing to follow it? He says, so here's a question I have to ask myself. Uh, Francis Chan, he's Chinese, obviously, he says, if the Bible said that all Chinese people had to stand on their head, would I, would I, would I do it? Well, he said he would. <laughs> if, that's what, if that's what the Bible said, because I trust my God. Now, obviously, the Bible does not say that. He said, but if it did, because I trust my God and he's wiser than me, then that's what I would do. If it, he said, if it ever said Chinese people weren't allowed to marry, he says, even though I didn't agree with it, if that's what it said, I would do it. Now, obviously, that's not what it says, and we can all be thankful for that. But that's one thing that we have to decide when we're looking through Scripture, as we come upon difficult verses, as we come upon them, and, and some stuff that we may not quite agree with, do we listen to what the Word of God says, or do we begin to you know, choose our own religion? Eh, we're not going to follow this part. Yeah, you know what, this, is, this was an old-time thinking. We're not going to deal with that. Or do we follow what the Word of God says? 
And so that, that's the stuff that I have to deal with when I'm teaching this stuff as I'm reading the Word. So we have to look at all the Scriptures. We can't pick and choose, and we have to work through them and what is trying to be said. So let's do that with this one. The woman should keep silent in the churches. What does this mean? Does it mean that women shouldn't speak in church? Or does it mean that women should not use their spiritual gifts? I don't, I don't believe it does. It doesn't mean that at all. It is evident in the Old Testament and the New Testament that women were active in ministry. This is not a new thing. Judges 4.4 4 says, Now Deborah, a prophetess, the wife of Lapidoth, was judging Israel at the time. She was a woman. She was judging Israel. And she was a prophetess. So she's a woman in ministry. All right. 1 Corinthians 11.5, But every wife who prays or prophesies with her head uncovered. This is Paul speaking just a few chapters ago. But every wife who prays or prophesies with her head uncovered dishonors her head since it's the same as if her head were shaven. And that's a whole different thing. But the point I want to make is every wife who prays or prophesies. Paul wasn't against women praying or prophesying. He wasn't against them using, so, so we have to unpack these things as we go through these hard scriptures. Acts 21, 8 through 9. On the next day we departed, came to Caesarea, and we entered the house of Philip the evangelist, who was one of the seven, and stayed with him. And he had four unmarried daughters who prophesied. So this is Philip's uh, daughters there operating in ministry. Acts 18, 24 through 26 says, Now a Jew named Apollos, a native of Alexandria, came to Ephesus. He was an eloquent man, competent in the Scriptures, and he had been instructed in the way of the Lord. And being fervent in spirit, he spoke and taught accurately the things concerning Jesus, though he knew only the baptism of John. And he began to speak boldly in the synagogue. But when Priscilla and Aquila heard him, they took him aside and explained to him the way of God more accurately. Now, Priscilla and Aquila were a couple uh, doing ministry together. Aquila was the guy, Priscilla was the, was the girl, and more often than not, in the, Old, in the New Testament, Priscilla is mentioned first. Now, scholars that are, that are wise and smart about these kind of things, they'll tell you that, that when the woman is mentioned first, that means that she was the prominent, the figurehead of their ministry. So we see that, that women do have a place in ministry. Paul's not saying that women can't speak in church. So let's take a look at what's actually going on here. We'll take a look at the context and the culture. And I want you to know that in Greek culture, for the most part, women were discouraged from speaking in public. And they certainly weren't allowed to question men in public. This is likely probably what this, this shameful uh, comment came from, is, is that wasn't allowed in that culture. Now, I want you to know that Christianity was revolutionary because Christianity did something that no other religion had done, no other government had done, and it put women as equal with men. It made women just as valuable as men, and that was something that was completely foreign to everyone that they were dealing with. But we have to understand, just like when Christ came back, Christ didn't come to change the Roman government. How many know that's true? Right? That was actually one of the problems that the Jews had with him, is they thought he was going to come back as a conquering general, wipe out the Roman government, and give them power back. But he's like, that's actually, I'm not here to change government. I'm here to change hearts. Amen? And actually, if you change hearts, you'll change governments. But Paul, this is kind of the same thing here. Paul's like, I'm not here to change the culture that you're living in overnight. You still have to operate inside the culture that you're working in. Paul said it like this, I become like whoever I need to become like so that I might win some of them, right? So I become poor, I become rich, I come uh, as, as under the law, I come as under, under grace. Whatever I need to do to reach people, I will do those things. 
And I thank God that over time, Christianity has influenced the governments and the cultures around this world because we now see that women are equal to men or were at least on the way in many ways, even in culture, because Christianity has had that influence on this world. Another thing to note is that this word here, be silent in church, is the same word that was used when he said, um, if you have a tongue and there's no one to interpret, be silent. Basically what he's saying is, be silent unless a specific set of conditions are met that it's appropriate for you to speak. Obviously this didn't mean that they were never to speak in church. And as you know here, we, we believe that as well. We, we let women teach here. Um, we have many positions of leadership and ministry in the church that women can go ahead and operate in. We believe that women are valuable and they have a place and they can make an impact. What Paul is dealing with here is, is kind of what's going on. Paul is saying that in this context, in this culture, with the things that are going on, don't flaunt your freedom. Remember we were talking about the head covering, should women wear head coverings or not? Paul was saying that, yes, you're coming into Christianity, you're, you're, you're learning about all these new freedoms that you have in Christ, but you're operating in these freedoms without regard to anybody else. You're operating in these freedoms, not even thinking about how it could impact somebody else. You know, and the example that I gave is, is if any one of us um, you know, were to go and minister in the Middle East right now, if we were to send a group of ladies, I would expect them to wear the clothes that those ladies would wear. They would need to wear the, the long clothes. They would need to wear, I forget what it's called, uh, the again? Hajib. They'd have to wear that. They'd have to keep their face covered. Um, they, would, they would go into that culture dressing like the women of that culture. Is it because they don't have the freedom to wear what they want to wear? No, but it's because in order to win those people, we have to operate in that culture. If they were to come in dressed like we're dressed in this room right now, they would never be able to have an impact because they wouldn't even talk to them or acknowledge them. That's what Paul's saying. You guys, you have this great freedom and that's good, but think about what you're doing. Sometimes it's better to, to not exercise your freedom in order to impact and reach somebody else. So in this church, he's like, yeah, ladies, you do have the right to talk, but right now be silent in the church. So where we're at right now, people can be reached. It's not disrupting the service. And really, I've actually read different, uh, I couldn't find it while I was preparing for this, but at one time I read that in those times, many times the churches were segregated in a sense where the women would be on one side, the men would be on the other. And um, typically the women were less educated. They wouldn't be as well versed in the scripture. So if the lady had a question, she would yell across the aisle to her husband, like, hey, I don't understand this. And you can imagine when people are yelling across the aisle, it's causing a distraction. Or when they're talking and asking all these questions in church, they're causing a distraction. It's kind of the same reason that on rare occasion I'll ask questions to you guys when I'm preaching, but it's not really an open forum so you can talk back to me on Sunday mornings because it would be a distraction for me to be able to teach the message that God has given me. Amen? And that's what Paul's dealing with here. You know, your husbands know this stuff. Go home and talk to your husband at home and get the answers that you need. And it has nothing to do with them not being able to speak, them not having any authority, them not having um, the intelligence or the ability. This is really what it was, was a cultural thing. Paul's saying don't flaunt your freedom, but instead operate in such a way that everybody, because if you think about it, what's this whole chapter been on? It's been about unity in the body. Everything that we've talked about all the way through 1 Corinthians is all about unity. And that's what he's talking about here. Amen? 
And he goes on to say, and you guys, I'm probably going to go a little bit long. Is that okay, everybody? Give me an extra like five or ten minutes or so. He says in verse 36, Or was it from you that the word of God came? Are you the only one it has reached? Like I said, basically this, this, this entire chapter and the last couple have been about the, the Corinthian church flaunting this gift of tongues, and they're, they're, making a, they're making a mess. Everybody's doing it. They're thinking that they're somehow special if they speak in tongues. And they were over, allowing it to basically overtake their church services. And they were instead being guilty of taking off on a tangent and leaving the gospel behind. They weren't doing what they were supposed to be doing. The other gifts were being suppressed. So Paul begins to, he just asks sarcastically, do you think the knowledge of God's word ends and begins with you? You think it's all about you? The Corinthian church was out of line, which was what was acceptable behavior and what was proper in the church. He says, do you think the word of God, that you're the only one it came from or for? The only ones that reach, it's not all about you, church. Start doing things in a way that the entire body can be edified. Amen? And in verse 37, he says, If anyone thinks that he is a prophet or spiritual, he should acknowledge the things I am writing to you are a command of the Lord. And if anyone does not recognize this, he is not recognized. So now he goes on to say, it says, all right, if you are spiritual, you know, if you're operating in the spiritual gifts, if God has given you a prophetic word or a, or a tongue or, or any of those things, if, if God is working through you, then you should recognize that these things that I'm writing to you are not from me, but they are from God. Paul's saying, I'm speaking on behalf of God. Knock it off. Get things in order so church will be edifying to everybody there and not a big mess and not scaring people off. He says, if you believe in the gifts of the Spirit, you need to use them properly. And if you won't use them properly, then you're missing the point. Because they're supposed to build up the body. And then he says, if you're going to keep trying to operate in these gifts, but you don't recognize this, you don't recognize this is a command from God, he says, then, then the church is not going to recognize you. You're not going to have the opportunity. Hallelujah. And then actually we will go ahead and, and end here today in verse 39 through 40. He says, So my brothers earnestly desire to prophesy and do not forbid speaking in tongues, but all things should be done decently and in order. Church, the spiritual gifts are important to the church. They were given to the church to embolden and empower the body to be more effective at sharing the gospel, to be more effective at equipping the saints that we can step out into our calling. And, and, and Paul says that we should desire them. And not just desire them, but earnestly desire them. That means desire them a lot. That means make it a priority. But we need to make sure that we're doing it in an orderly fashion. We're desiring them to build up the church, not ourselves. Amen? And then he goes on to say, do not forbid speaking in tongues. Unfortunately, I think we see that all too often in today's world is, is, is the f- uh, forbidding the use of the gifts of the Holy Spirit, particularly the gifts of tongues. Because like I said, and I've said it before, I'll say it again, nobody has a problem with the gifts of the Holy Spirit, really. If somebody were to, to have the, uh, the gift of healing work in their life and they were cured of cancer, nobody would be like, that's just too weird, I don't want that. They would want to be cured from cancer. But somebody starts speaking in tongues and everybody gets weirded out because modern sensibilities have told us that that's weird. And we began to put God in a box and tell God how he can operate instead of letting God operate how he wants to, how he's described through his word to make an impact in our churches and in our communities. 
He says, don't forget speaking in tongues. Just use them correctly. Don't be fools about it. Don't, you know, our, our goal as a church is not to be as weird as we can be and scare people off. How many of you know that? We want to be inviting to people because we want to share the love of Jesus Christ more than anything. We want to make sure that they are able to hear about his love, that they are able to receive his forgiveness, that they are able to find that hope that they don't have, that they would be forgiven, that they would be made free, that they would be given strength. We want them to have that. And if we're all acting like a bunch of crazies all the time, that's not going to happen. So we want to do things in order, amen, and in the right way. And the church today is no different than the Corinthian church. So let's use them, church. I'd encourage you, earnestly desire the gifts. Let's, as a church, let's operate in the gifts. But we are going to do it in order. We are going to do it correctly so that that way the body would be edified and not just individuals. Amen? Amen. Let's bow our head.